Good morning. Um, I'm Greg Jenkins. I'm the worship leader here at Covenant Church, and today I'm really grateful to be here kicking off a new sermon series called Grow. If you're a guest with us this morning, if this is your first week, if you've been hanging out here for a couple weeks, we're really glad you're here. I just want to take a second to say hi. Um, If you would be so kind, fill out one of these uh, brown cards at the info table. We want to get to know you, and we want to get you connected to our community. Last Sunday, we wrapped up our sermon series on Psalm 23 called Dwell. Uh, We spent 30 days diving into what it means to have the total provision, peace, protection, prosperity, and presence of God. Kyle shared with us thoughtful reflections on Psalm 23 for each day of the month. Each of the readings gave us a chance to focus on a different facet of our Good Shepherd and to respond in prayer. Bye. I love you. I hope Kyle's uh, readings were a blessing for you. They were absolutely a blessing for me. And one of the days that impacted me the most was day 19. I know you guys have them all memorized. Uh, Day 19 was on the abundance of God, and, and this was my favorite part. He pours out grace and mercy beyond our wildest imagination, showcasing his inexhaustible richness in the process. When we are submitted to God, we not only begin to see his goodness on display, but we are are invited to take part in it. So for the next nine weeks, we're going to be talking about that goodness on display, the inexhaustible richness of God, what Paul, inspired by God in his letter to the Galatians, called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, the things that grow out of a soul that is rooted in Christ. So these last 30 days, we're all about learning to dwell in the presence of a good God. And now we're going to focus in on what we should expect to happen when we dwell. If Psalm 23 taught us what it means to belong to God, then this next season at Covenant Church is about what we should expect to become when we belong to him. Galatians 5, 22 through 25 says this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So the first part of the passage is one of the more well-known ones in all the New Testament. Those of us who have been Christians for any length of time have heard this list. Fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you're new to the faith, you're still exploring Christianity and the Bible, this list is still pretty straightforward, right? These aren't overly theological concepts. Love and joy and peace. These are the kind of values that most people, most cultures agree on, regardless of religion or ideology. Patience and kindness and goodness, these are goals that we can all rally around. Faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, these are standards that have honor and dignity associated with them, not just within Christianity, but in all of human history. These are, these are good things. I think we can agree that this list, the nine through the Spirit, is as close to a list of universal ideals as you'll ever find. 
But how many of us look at that list and think love, check, joy, check, peace, got it, patience, all day, every day? No, I, I think we can't agree that these things are in short supply. We may regard them highly, but we certainly don't have them. When we swipe through our Facebook feed or eavesdrop at the water cooler or turn on the TV, it doesn't take long to see that we as a human race haven't figured out where to find these things. They're scarce. Love and joy and peace. We don't always see them in our homes. Patience and kindness and goodness, we don't always see them in our workplaces, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We don't always see them in our presidential candidates. We don't always see them in our churches. What we do see plenty of in this world are the opposites of each of those fruit. We see hatred, misery, anxiety, frustration, selfishness, crookedness, backstabbing, violence, indulgence, So as we progress through this series together, we're going to take a closer look at each one of the fruit. Each week, we're going to focus on one. We're going to move beyond what culture says about them and see how Jesus not only illuminates them and embodies them, but most importantly, how he invites us to partake in them. See, I don't know about you, but I'm honestly not interested in learning more about what love is. I've read enough books, I've watched enough TED Talks. What I desperately need is to be loved fully, despite my imperfections. To receive that love fully, in spite of my own pride. And to somehow, some way grow in my ability to show that love to my wife, to my daughter, to my church, to my city. I don't believe we need to be informed about these things as much as we need to be transformed into these things. Yeah, we want to see God's goodness on display, but what we really need and what God deeply desires for us is not to just see his goodness on display, but to be his goodness on display. Not to just admire his joy from a distance, but to partake in his joy today and in partaking it in some mysterious, unfathomable way to, to be made out of it to become his joy parading through the world. See, the fruit of the Spirit is about what we're turning into. There are nine of the primary changes we will see in our lives as we dwell in the house of the Lord. They're the things we can expect to become when we belong to Jesus. And I'm going to say this a couple times this morning. Becoming starts with belonging. The fruit of the Spirit is about growing. This sermon series is about growing. But if we don't start off with the right framework for thinking about growth, if we don't look at growth through the right lens, I'm afraid we could easily spend September and October taking nine steps forward and ten steps back. Maybe that sounds familiar to you. Isn't that what trying to grow can feel like sometimes? The fruit of the Spirit isn't Paul's attempt at a snappy self-help article. The fruit of the Spirit isn't nine crazy life hacks that will change everything. You'll never believe number seven. It's not about willing ourselves to ascend to a new level of morality, but humbling ourselves enough 
to establish our lives in a place where good things will grow. My goal for us this morning is to better understand God's plan for growing us, see some of the things that can get in the way of that growth, and ultimately, and most importantly, to give us an opportunity to put our hearts in a place where they can experience real lasting change. So as we jump into this, uh, let's, let's pray together. Jesus, we exist for your glory, and we just first and foremost acknowledge that um, we are here for you. You've designed us, you've made us, you've created us. And this day, September 4th, 2016, is one that you made for us to live in and breathe in. God, we're here because of you, we're here for you. I pray that as we read your word and as we think about our hearts and the ways that we can grow, that your spirit would be here to challenge us and to invite us, to challenge us and to invite us, to point out those things that need to change and then to give us the strength and the power to change. You're a good God. Your gifts are lovely. And I ask that you would give us the humility to partake in them with you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's two very different ways that I've seen that things can change that they can grow, they can develop. When I watch a new house being constructed in my neighborhood, I see it developing, I see it changing from one state to another. Each time I walk by, another step has been completed. The house is closer to being finished. It's growing, in a sense, it's, it's growing. But when I watch my daughter Lily grow up, who you just met, I see a completely different kind of development taking place. Let me unpack these two kinds of growth because there's some really powerful implications here for how we think about how God grows us and specifically how we approach the fruit of the Spirit in the next two months. The new house in my neighborhood is growing mechanically. My daughter Lily is growing organically. So let's take a look at mechanical growth first, the way the new house grows The keys to building a house well are planning out the blueprints, collecting the right materials, assembling them in the right configuration. Mechanical growth is about making something bigger and better by adding something to it. Planning, collecting, configuring. These are the essential pieces to mechanically growing something. Now let's look at organic growth, the way that Lillian is growing Organic growth isn't about plans and materials and configuring things correctly. The key to a child's growth are genetics, nourishment, environment. Lily is growing into the adorable, healthy girl she is, not because Bethany and I are sitting down and planning each phase of growth, assembling her correctly, but because we're feeding her, nourishing, cultivating Feeding. These are the essential pieces to growing something organically. See, the house has a plan for growing, and that plan is outside of the house itself. It's, it's called the blueprint. That's where the process is, the pattern for how that thing is going to grow. The child also has this plan for growing, this pattern, this process, but it lives inside of them, right? It's found in the DNA. There isn't a blueprint for my daughter that lives outside of her, that is being followed as she grows and develops. No, the DNA inside of every cell cell in her body knows what's coming next. 
mechanical growth embellishes the outside while organic growth emerges from the inside. A couple more differences between mechanical and organic growth because I think this is really important. Mechanical growth happens in discrete, noticeable stages. One step at a time. First, first the house gets the foundation poured. When that's completely finished and dried, then the walls are framed in. Then the roof goes on. Then the drywall. Then the paint. But that's not how organic growth takes place. We don't say, now that I have my legs sorted out, I can think about growing some arms. It happens symmetrically. Each piece is growing at the same time. Your body doesn't grow a pinky finger and then move on to the ring finger. No, the day you're born, you have ten fingers, ten toes, and they all grow together in proportion. The child grows by activating and multiplying what is already there in infinitesimally small increments that can't be measured from moment to moment, but are only seen from month to month or even year to year. You see where I'm going with this. See, where mechanical growth is adding a new element to make something more useful, organic growth is about multiplying what's already there to make it more alive. To sum up mechanical growth, something grows mechanically when the changes are the result of adding something new. The changes are quick and immediate. They happen in discrete phases, and they come about as the accomplishment of doing work. On the other side, to sum up organic growth, something grows organically. The changes are the result of triggering something that is already there. The changes are slow and gradual. They happen simultaneously, and they come not as the accomplishment of work, but the byproduct of being well-nourished. Mechanical growth is the way that inanimate objects change. Organic growth is the way that living things change. You can't make your house bigger by nourishing it. By making sure it gets its vitamins, you aren't going to sprout a third floor on your house if you start watering it. In the same way, you can't help your child grow by attaching some bigger feet or some longer arms. That's kind of disturbing to think about. That's what monster movies are made of. That's Frankenstein. So it's silly to grow a lifeless thing organically. And it's almost grotesque to try to grow a living thing mechanically. It's just not the way it works. Are we starting to see these two different types of growth, how they're so profoundly different? Which one of these do we usually focus on in our spiritual journey? I would argue that we gravitate toward mechanical growth. Perhaps without realizing it, we want instant growth. We want obvious growth. We want New York Times bestseller growth. We want TED Talk growth. We're attracted to what I would call get righteous quick schemes, right? But for every millionaire that got rich quick, there are a hundred who got rich really, really slowly. They paid their bills, they lived within their means, and they saved money. And 50 years later, They're rich. That's organic growth, and that is the way that God describes the way he grows us. It's the slow and gradual growth, but it's also the real and sustainable and powerful growth. 
We are not like the houses that spring up overnight. We're like the children that develop in these tiny, invisible increments every day. The house may be impressive, but the child is a miracle. G. Campbell Morgan used to tell a story about the incredible power of this kind of growth, this organic growth. While while traveling in Italy, he saw an enormous oak tree coming out of the ground. And on either side were two halves of what was once a giant marble slab. He was in a cemetery where hundreds of years later, an acorn had fallen into a grave before the tombstone was placed above it. It doesn't make sense intuitively which one wins, the acorn or the ton of solid rock? Well, the acorn wins every time. Yeah, it takes time. Yes, it took the right climate, the right amount of water, the right amount of sunshine, but when those things were in place, the growth was unstoppable. Even the most seemingly impossible obstacle was overcome, not in one glorious mechanical moment, but amid centuries of constant growth. This picture, the way that plants flourish, is the best way of explaining the life of a Christian. It's God's chosen metaphor for explaining our spiritual growth. When we read the fruit of the Spirit with the expectation of mechanical growth, we have this compulsion to learn as much information as we can about each one, prioritize them, and check them off the list one by one as we attain them. We try as hard as we can to collect love and joy and peace like raw materials and attach them to our lives in the right alignment and formation. But you can't grow a living thing mechanically, remember? That's Frankenstein. When we look at the fruit of the Spirit with the expectation of organic growth, we should be compelled to do something completely different. If we know that living inside of us are the instructions, the DNA, for exactly who we are becoming, then our complete focus becomes activating and multiplying what is already there. The emphasis completely changes. It changes from putting forth our best effort to putting down our roots in the ideal environment. When we think about growth this way, suddenly it's not about progress anymore. It's about posture It's not about turning the dials and finding the right configuration, but about turning around and dwelling in the right climate, dwelling in the house of the Lord, belonging to Jesus, because becoming starts with belonging. When we think that growth happens as a result of our precision, we set ourselves up to fail. When we understand that growth happens As a result of God's provision, we set ourselves up to flourish. So the question I have is, how do you approach growth in your life? It takes about 40 weeks for a construction crew to finish a big new house. In order to build the house right, the crew is putting in a concerted team effort all day long for months on end, piecing materials together, making adjustments, overcoming setbacks, executing the plan. Dozens of people completely focused on growing the house. It also takes about 40 weeks for a healthy seven-pound baby to fully develop in the mother's womb. Now, before I continue, my legal counsel has strongly recommended that I go on record saying pregnancy is very hard. 
It's harder than anything I've ever done. And I officially would not ever be able to handle it ever in a million years. With that said, consider the baby's growth compared to the house. One cell becoming two cells, becoming four cells, becoming eight cells. And what is the mother doing? She's not making calculations. She's not taking measurements and deciding the next best step. No, she's providing the perfect environment, the nourishment, the right kind of climate for powerful, miraculous growth to happen. And the baby grows. Why is the baby growing? Why does it come out with ten fingers and ten toes and two eyes and two ears and one heart? The baby isn't aware that it's growing. Doctors and scientists are still trying to figure out the incredible process of babies growing. And think about this. Even the mother doesn't understand every bit of progress that is happening. She might know that on week seven, the baby is the size of a blueberry. And on week 34, it's the size of a cantaloupe. And on week 41, it's the size of a compact car. (laughs) But she isn't consciously orchestrating the stages of fetal development, is she? She doesn't say to herself, hmm, day 18, I should probably go ahead and get that heartbeat started today. No, but what she's doing is creating the perfect dwelling place for that baby to thrive and multiply and grow. The baby belongs in the womb, and when it is there, it grows. If that baby was anywhere else, it would never have a chance of growing. It would never become what it is meant to be. Becoming starts with belonging. The orange tree belongs in Florida. And if you plant it in Fargo, it would never have a chance of growing. Becoming starts with belonging. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. God could have used any picture here to teach us about the list. He could have called them the traits of the Spirit, the character of the Spirit, the deeds of the Spirit, the habits, the actions, the works of the Spirit. But he called them the fruit of the Spirit, and that fruit metaphor is so important. When people write metaphors, it's, it's kind of cute and it's kind of clever. And we say, oh yeah, that's, that's cool that that thing is kind of like that thing. But when God writes a metaphor, there's something much more important happening. And, and it really demands our attention. I spent much of my life looking at this list completely upside down. I thought that it was a checklist, a measuring stick, a grade card. The message I took from it was, go be a good Christian boy and try harder to be peaceful and patient and kind. But hallelujah, it's not a grade card. It's a menu. The true message, come and eat up. Love and joy are in season and they're fresh. You've got to try this peace. It's like nothing you've ever tasted Earlier, when I was talking about the universal appeal of the fruit of the Spirit, I called them values, standards, goals. But but really, if they're standards, then they have to be met. And if they're values, they have to be attained. And if they're goals, they have to be achieved. But what if they aren't any of those things? What if they're gifts that need to be opened? 
What if we are like distracted children who have opened up faithfulness and gentleness and left the other seven presents wrapped and sitting under the tree? I have a a close friend of mine who is a great conga player and an incredible chef. His love language is grilling. Maybe you know someone that fits that description. If you're at one of his parties, without fail, in the midst of cooking up a storm, he will take a hunk of salty, peppery, smoky meat. He will stick it on the end of an enormous machete-like object. And he'll mingle through the party. He doesn't have to say anything. There's just this look in his eyes. It says, eat this, you won't regret it. I have to believe this is the highlight of the party for him. Nothing seems to delight him more than sharing those little samples and previews with his guests. See, nothing brings God more pleasure than seeing his children open up his good and perfect gifts and be blessed by them. But it's so easy for us to get this backwards. Our tendency is to think that we are the one bringing the gift, that we are wrapping up the gift of good behavior and giving it to God as an offering. We've established this idea that where we dwell determines how we grow, that how a child is nourished determines how it grows, that where a tree is planted determines how it grows, that growing rises out of dwelling, that becoming starts with belonging. But sometimes we live as though our belonging to Jesus is dependent on on our becoming like Jesus. That the becoming has to precede the belonging. That it has to come first. That if we grow enough, then we get to dwell in the house of the Lord. But think about it. Think about it in another light. Isn't that kind of like saying, once our stomachs are full enough, then we get to sit at God's table and eat our fill. Or to use the metaphor of organic growth, isn't it like saying, once this tree grows tall, and bears fruit, then it has earned the right to be planted. It's, it's this idea that we can become more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, and if we can, then we can belong to God. It's the lie. It's the thought process behind the lie of religion. See, religion says, if I can master the art of loving others, if I can muster up enough joy, if I can meditate myself into peace, If I can attain the next level of holiness, then I will earn God's approval, then I will have arrived. If I can just bear enough fruit, then I will be planted. If you can take a look at all the world's religions, you will see this pattern over and over. But we can see that it makes no sense. The stomach is empty when you sit down to feast. The tree is just a tiny seed when it's placed in the ground. In all of the world's religions, man is spreading the table for their gods, crossing their fingers and hoping it is enough. But our God spreads the table for us. In all of the world's religions, man is seeking God. But our God is seeking us. He welcomes those who don't love him back, who don't want anything 
to do with them. He invites them to put their roots down in his kingdom by trusting him. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, new DNA. He nourishes us with his word, through his people, by his presence. And as weeks become months, become years, the roots go deep and the fruit begins to come forth. Where we were filled with hatred, he is growing love. Where we were overcome with misery, he is growing joy. Where we were paralyzed by anxiety, he is growing peace. Where we were weighed down by frustration, he is growing patience. Where we were controlled by selfishness, he is growing his kindness. Where we were plagued with crookedness, he is growing his goodness. Where we were engaged in backstabbing, he is growing his faithfulness. Where we turned to violence, he is growing his gentleness. Where we were enslaved to indulgence, he is growing his self-control. Why? Because of our great potential? Because of our great merit? No. My friends, it's because of his inexhaustible richness. Because of his great love. Because he is love. The first fruit of the Spirit on the list is love, and that's not a coincidence. In the end, the other eight are just describing that love from different angles. God is love. Love is godliness. When the fruit of the Spirit grows, it grows love. It grows love in a beautiful array of flavors that we are invited to enjoy. When you look at that list, it's all love. When love is felt, we call it joy. When love is known, we call it peace. When love holds on, we call it patience. When love reaches out, we call it kindness. When love sinks in, we call it goodness. When love shows up, we call it faithfulness. When love kneels down, we call it gentleness. When love conquers all, we call it self-control. As much as this is going to be a sermon series about growing, it is going to be a sermon series about the love of God. Here in in 1 John 4, 9 through 12, we hear this explanation of God's love. It says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the substitution, the replacement for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. That's the gospel. We have nothing to give. We can't afford what he's offering. So he paid the price himself so that he can give it away for free. Abundantly, generously, irresponsibly. In Isaiah 55, we hear God talking like this to the people of Israel. He says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. 
He who has no money, come and buy and eat. For us humans, that's just a really bad business model. It's a recipe for bankruptcy. But, but for a God, a good God who's overflowing with a supply, an endless supply of love and joy and peace and, and patience and kindness and goodness, this is his nature. This is his glory. This is his goodness on display. Nothing makes him happier than to see his children open up his good and perfect gifts and be blessed by them. So the question we need to answer in our hearts this morning as the worship team joins me on stage, we have a chance to respond to God's generous gifts is this. Am I trying to change mechanically? Am I putting all of my effort into striving and chasing after more morality? Am I trying to staple God's goodness onto my heart instead of simply sitting at his table, dwelling in his house, and being nourished out of his abundance? As we take communion together during the next few songs, as we come and eat at this table, let us remember that our God is a God who desires to share and to gift us with his goodness. The reason we can celebrate communion is that when Jesus died for us, when he became the replacement for our sin, he paid our way into the feast. He reserved our seat at the table. God is in the business of nourishing and cultivating the souls of anyone who will humble themselves enough to come to his table and eat up. During the next eight weeks, my prayer is that our stomachs would rumble, that our appetites would be stirred up, and our imaginations would run wild. What does it look like for a church to grow with this kind of growth? What does it look like for an entire city to grow with this kind of growth? Growth that comes out of the hand of a good God, out of his abundance. Will you stand with me? Pray with me. God, we see this this list, this fruit of the Spirit, your love, your joy, your peace, your patience. God, and first we just see how fall we how how short we fall. That that as hard as we try and as much effort as we put in. We can't do it. God, we're thankful that you can, that you embody these things and that you share them with us, God. I pray that you would lead us. And in September and October, as we think about growth, that your still small voice would be there. And those times that we start dreaming up ways to try harder to impress our God, you would whisper to us, come, and sit and eat. Love and joy are in season. You have to try this peace. It's like nothing you've ever tasted. God, would you kill in us this desire to achieve growth by any other means than your spirit living inside of us, nourishing us, Thank you for inviting us to dwell in your house, God. We accept this invitation. 
We want these gifts, and we pray only that you would give us the humility to open them, to see our need for them, to love them, grow our appetite for them, Lord, in the coming weeks. In Jesus' name, amen.